Good morning, Ebenezer family. This is Pastor Kelly here this morning sharing with you from the last chapter of Romans. Now, despite it taking some time, our journey through Romans, I believe, has been rich and rewarding, and now it's nearing the end. Believe it or not, next week is our last message from, from the book. Today we're talking about a difficult, but I believe very important topic, and that's how do we deal with troublemakers in the church? If you've been around the church for any period of time, you're well aware of the unfortunate reality that every church has trouble, it seems, at one time or another. It doesn't matter if the congregation is large or small, or if the church is new or well-established, or what denomination the church belongs to. It doesn't seem to make a difference who the pastor is or what form of governance the church practices. Every church has problems at one point or another. Now, last week, Pastor Cal and Pastor Joel brought us back to the book of Romans by looking at the first part of chapter 16. And in that section, Paul extends warm personal greetings to many of those within the Roman church. And Cal and Joel did a great job of sharing some of the stories and insights that came from, from those names and pointing out, I think, most importantly, that the gospel brings unity. There's something in the gospel, that common bond of faith in Christ that brings unity despite diversity and in the midst of diversity. Then Paul, immediately after sharing those encouragements to the church, he shifts gears rather quickly to include a stern warning about those who cause division in the church. Now, at this point in time, I think it's important to remember why Paul wrote this letter to the church in the first place. Romans was written to address the disunity between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers and to correct faulty doctrine. During Paul's missionary journeys, Paul also dealt with a multitude of false teachers and troublemakers. And so he knew what, what that was about. He recognized them. He knew what they smelled like. He knew what they looked like. And so in this short section of verses 17 to 20 of chapter 16, it appears that Paul is doing some teaching in order to equip the church to deal with those who would cause problems. He was anticipating this ahead of time. Now, at this point in time, I want to say a huge thank you to the leadership at Ebenezer. Ebenezer has a good reputation, I believe, when it comes to dealing with issues. We are not looking at this chapter or this section this morning because there's a problem in Ebenezer. I want to make that very clear. We're looking at this topic because it's in the text that we're studying, and we want to honor the Scripture. This topic, however, or on how to deal with troublemakers in the church, is, well, is one, rather, where we would do well to include more than one voice and one perspective. And so this morning, I've invited one of our missionaries to join us, and that's Michael Fast. Some of us are very familiar with Michael and Eva and their family. Uh, Michael has served in the Philippines along with his family, with Eva in particular, for 20 years, where they have an exciting ministry sharing Christ and just doing some very practical ministry things down there as well. So welcome here, Michael. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Well, a little bit. We're supposed to be on a plane right now going back to the Philippines, but that's not happening because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're waiting for that. But, uh, but you know, things are still good. It's not all bad. It's not all good. It's, it's normal life. Normal life. Lots, and lots of good in the midst of that. You're doing yes. a, a little yeah. bit of traveling, visiting family. Yeah. And I understand you just finished teaching a, a class. Yes. What was that, what was that class called? Um, well, because of the, of the, of the COVID crisis, we, we thought we should offer a class that's not typically offered in a Bible school or seminary. We called it Pastoring in Times of Crisis, uh, specifically, of course, targeted towards COVID-related uh, mm -hmm. issues in the church and in society. Um, and uh, so all of our students are Filipinos around the world. And uh, it was very well received, I think. So we talked about some issues the church faces. 
um, uh, much probably the same as issues that, that churches in Canada are facing when it comes to, mm -hmm. uh, to, to lockdown and quarantine. Uh, but I think we also provided a, a venue for pastors just to connect with one another. You yeah. know, it's, there's a lot of isolation that happens. And so just to be able to, to talk and, and hear what other people are saying and, and, and share what's going on in your own life, it, it's really a good, a good uh, opportunity for that. So we're very happy with how the class went. That's fantastic. I know you've enjoyed it. We chatted a little bit about that before. Mm -hmm. It's been a, big, a great experience for you. And, and I'm looking forward to having you, you sharing here. You've got years of experience. You've got family that's been in ministry for a long time. You've just taught this class. And so no pressure, but boy, we are looking for, forward to you bringing a lot to the table here this morning. So I'll invite Michael to dig into this conversation a little bit more in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I want to begin with the words of Jesus today. Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Now, Jesus warns his followers that there will be people who, call, who will cause trouble in the church. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that troublemakers are so prevalent, really. Ever since the church was formed, she's been plagued by troublemakers. Some wanted to destroy the church. Uh, some wanted to influence the church and shape them into their way of thinking and doing things. Paul was very aware of this as well. And so he begins his warning to the church uh, in Rome with the same words as Jesus. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So how do we deal with troublemakers in the church? Jesus and Paul tell us the same thing. Watch out. Watch out actually comes from the same root word as scrutinize. It means to examine often, uh, intensely, and, and purposefully to check on and check out. Now, a lot of you know that I like to ride old motorcycles. And whenever I go riding in traffic, I am constantly watching and checking the drivers around me. I'm watching to see if someone's looking in their mirror, you know? Mm. They might be wanting to make a lane change. If they're looking over their, over their shoulder, you're watching for that sort of thing. Um, sometimes you watch the wheels of oncoming traffic. because, Like, where are they wandering? Where are they going to go? That gives you some clues. Um, I stay out of blind spots. That's really important. I, I know they ride a lot of little, little mopeds in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. You probably don't see all of this all the time. <laughs> it's not quite the same. But I, I, I work to be very defensive. Uh, I'm staying away from those who look like they're in a hurry. Hmm. You know, I watch those who seem like they're not paying attention. I stay away from really loud stereos because hmm. I know their mind's not on what they're driving. They're into their music. And so I'm always, I'm always watching and I'm always riding and I'm always giving myself an out if someone doesn't see me. So I'm, I'm scrutinizing, I guess like that word. I'm scrutinizing everything around me, trying to, trying to anticipate what will happen because your life could literally depend on it. And I think we had a little bit of a, a clip uh, while I was chatting there of riding in traffic. Uh, and I just want, I want our people to know that I used a GoPro that was strapped to the front of my chest to shoot that. I wasn't holding up my cell phone, you know, <laughs> driving down the street, taking that, that bit of footage. Um, but it's interesting because this, I think, is what Paul tells us to do. We need to watch out. We need to scrutinize. We need to constantly keep our eyes open for what's going, around, uh, going on around us. And I gave examples of, of what I watch for when I ride my bike, 
But Paul actually gives us a number of things to watch for as well when it comes to dealing with troublemakers. And the first thing he tells us to, to watch out for is wrong teaching. Troublemakers teach wrong doctrine. They teach, in verse 17 it says, they teach what is contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Now here's why I want to bring Michael into the conversation again. You've just finished teaching your online class. You've had years of experience. You've been involved in, in watching churches grow and leaders come. Um, so again, you're well prepared. <laughs> Looking forward to what you've got to, to share with us today. But here's my question. What do we need to watch for that can help us identify wrong teaching? Well, and I think, yeah, I think you, 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 you mentioned a bit earlier uh, with your uh, motorcycle idea. You know, part of being a driver is understanding the rules of the road. And I think we have to start from a positive, uh, a positive perspective rather than negative. So I think rather than looking for um, uh, wrong teachings, we need to understand what is the right teaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of my life I've heard an illustration about bank tellers. And I, I did talk to an expert, uh, an actual bank teller the other day. Um, and apparently bank tellers, because they handle money all the time, uh, real money, they know when fake money comes along. Of course, they receive training about, you know, what's the right kind of money, you know, what do you need to look for. Um, and I think te as technology progresses, it's harder for them to, uh, to know, uh, you know, it, it's harder, it's, it's easier for them to be fooled. But the fakes are getting better. The fakes are getting better. Um, but the idea is, is that if you handle something that, that, is, that, is, that is right or genuine all the time, as soon as you get something that's not genuine, you know right away there's something off about that. And so I think it's the same, it's the same with, with our life um, and with, with the truth of God's Word. Um, you know, and I think each of us sort of has a little radar that we use uh, as we try to evaluate truth and, uh, and truth claims. Of course, nowadays, of course, fake news and, you know, some people like uh, uh, fact-checking websites, other people don't like them. Uh, you know, how do we know if, it, if, if a teacher or a politician is telling the truth? I think we have a series of, uh, of five factors, I think, that influence every person when it comes to understanding the truth. And I think, particularly for us, but I think for a lot of people, the Bible is one of those things. Uh, and we see that here. You know, Paul says, he talks about... Uh, you know, contrary to what you've heard. So there's this idea that they've been taught the truth. And so how do they know if something is, 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 is false if it's contrary to that? And so I think we evaluate things based on what the Bible has to say. And there's a lot of people, I think, who read the Bible. Um, um, uh, there's a lot, I think there's an understanding the Bible is, is sort of a valid book for, for teaching morality and for teaching right and wrong. But, but I think there's also a segment of society who, who isn't, doesn't really trust the Bible for whatever reason. So, you know, we don't know what they are. Um, but um, it, it's interesting that, that people are drawn to ancient teachings. And, and as, as I was thinking about uh, your question, um, as I was preparing for this, I, I remember a, a little uh, New Testament portion that we have in the Philippines. I'm not sure if they have it here. It's called Mang Manga Messiah. Manga is a, is a type of, of cartooning that's, that's done in Japan. And uh, so they've done sort of a graphic novel. Uh, a graphic novel is a modern word for a comic book of the Bible. And uh, it's interesting how they start out this manga messiah. They, they say it's adapted from the ancient texts. Mm. And I thought that's very interesting, the ancient texts. So somehow there's something, some ancient teaching. And the Bible is, is actually an ancient text. And I think that people like to have, uh, like to, to, there's some validity to that and some authority there. But people aren't just into reading the Bible. Uh, or, or believing the Bible, family members are also significant in shaping what we believe is true or not. 
Um, and, and in Romans chapter 16, you know, there's lots of family language that we see here. You know, he talks about brothers and sisters. He talks about Timothy, his co-worker. He talks about Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, who are Jewish from birth like me, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, Quartus, uh, you know, our brother in the Christian faith. So there's this family language. So the idea of, you know, this thing that I'm teaching isn't just some ancient text. It's also something that we as a family believe. And certainly our family shapes the kind of truth that we believe. So we look at the Bible, we look at our family, and then we also look for people who have special knowledge. And, you know, I have to be careful what I say because people sometimes think about me or think about people who are in our position mm -hmm. who are called pastors as being sort of special knowledge. And, and I guess we have studied a little bit maybe about, about the Bible and about, you know, about, about proclaiming the good news. But, you know, people do look for guides in their spiritual journey, you know, whether somebody is a pastor whether somebody is a, a spiritual director um, or, you know, whether somebody is even in, 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 in the non-religious world, whether somebody is an expert or somebody who's smart or somebody who's studied or, you know, whatever, whatever category, there are people who are significant. And, uh, you know, I've heard statistics that during this COVID-19 um, crisis, a lot of people have been, have been tuning into church online more people than normally would come to a church, they said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's happening. Uh, and I think people are looking for some kind of guidance from, 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 from the church and from, you know, from somebody who, who can guide them to, to, to the answers to life's questions. Um, and of course, I guess that ties into the fourth factor, which is sort of a congregational or institutional idea. And I, you know, for me, the word institutional sort of rubs me the wrong way because of my generation, but, but you know, um, Paul talks here uh, in, in a number of these verses that we just read, you know, making others fall away. And so I, I, I thought about this falling away. So if you're falling away from something, that means that there is something that's been established, uh, something to fall from, a standard or a set of rules or an agreement where the community stands together. And I think we, we do like to have a community. We like mm -hmm. to have a, a cohort of people that we, that, we, that we interact with, whether it's, I don't know if you're part of a motorcycle club. Uh, you know, people like to be a part of a church. I'm uh, a part of my small group. I'm not, <laughs> I have a motorcycle club in my own garage, I suppose. <laughs> but, you, you know, you don't have a patch on your back no, or something. No, I'm not yeah. a patch. Where... Um, you know, and so, there, you know, people, I think, like to identify with people of like mind. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that does have a shape, that does shape us as we understand the truth and make our decisions. But all of this together, I think, is, is sort of ways that help shape our own personal experience. And, uh, you know, none of us comes into, you know, it's not like we come into a church and, okay, I'm gonna listen to the Bible today. It doesn't really work that way. All of these things, I think, are constantly influencing us. Um, and I think Paul, even, even in reading through Romans, I mean, Romans is a very in-depth study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he, he's, he's always trying to convince people to modify or update their own way of determining evil or determining good and making right decisions. And, and so we all, you know, we all use these, these different factors to help shape who we are. And we see this in conversation. You know, we, we always seek affirmation for our own ideas. And I think the, you know, the, the, the Canadianism, you know, Canadians are known for saying A. And I think that's, that in some ways, that's a, that's a, a sort of a cry for affirmation. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm making a statement and I'm adding A to the end of that and it's sort of an idea of, do you share that idea with me? Is, does it make sense? Are you going to, are you going to ridicule me? Are you going to accept me in my ideas? And so, you know, that's part of our, I think the markers that we use within our daily conversation. Um, so I think we're all very well equipped to understand good and evil. And I think what, what Paul wants us to do is tweak that a little bit 
so that we understand good and evil from God's perspective. Yeah, and good stuff here, Michael. All these different factors, and when we bring them together, not just separately, but when all of them start to come together and align, I mean, then, then we can have a, a more solid grasp on what is actually truth. I, and I really like that, that idea of if we handle something consistently, then we know when something fake comes along because it, it feels different. Mm-hmm. And if we're in the Word, we're handling it constantly. Uh, I mean, I think that's the point, obviously, here. Yeah, and, I think so. And yeah. then there's just, I think, a challenge there for us as people of God to be, to be in the Word, to be reading, to be understanding, to be handling it mm-hmm. um, so that we can teach it with accuracy and, and handle it appropriately. Now, Paul gives us another thing to watch for when it comes to identifying troublemakers. He says, troublemakers are self-serving. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Mm-hmm. So this notion of appetite is interesting. Like, okay, <laughs> confessions here for a minute. My brothers and I, in the middle of three, used to have a weigh-in before and after Christmas dinner to see who could gain the most weight. Okay, that's maybe not the most appropriate appetite, but that's some of the crazy stuff that we used to do. But, but there's this notion of serving our own appetites here. It seems to indicate that trouble comes when people are striving to have their own ambitions met, their own appetites met within the context of church. So, so just another question for you, or for, for you this morning. How can we identify someone who is self-serving? You know, what can we watch for? How, how can we identify someone who's trying to meet their own ambitions, their own appetites? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that, that's, that's, hard, to, that's, hard, to, that's a hard one to figure out. You know, because it's it's hard to it's hard to know um, both from identifying somebody else's appetites and then our own appetites. You know, how do we know that? But I mean, I think you know, theologically, you know, we want to avoid those who take emphasis away from the word. And in 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 in, in as believers, the word has two aspects to it. There's of course the word of God, like the written word of God, that is the Bible. But but deeper than that, there's the living word of God, who's Jesus Christ. And I think those have to be central to any. Um, uh, to any desire. I think people who are desiring more of God's Word, whether it's written or, or living, are people who we need to, to, to be following and people mm. who are, are shying away from that. So how do we know about that? And, and I think uh, for me, I guess it's, it's a call to examine myself. You know, am I interested in feeding my own appetites? You know, because I, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, you know, if there's something to share, you know, I'm, I, you know I, I have siblings, I have brothers and sisters, so we know if something is shared properly or not. You know what I mean? You know how to cut the, the cake, you know how to cut the piece of pie so that nobody gets more than their fair share because everybody wants more than their fair share, and I do that too. And so how do I do that? And, and I guess maybe our parents teach us this, maybe our mothers particularly. There was a rule in our house when we were kids, um, uh, don't eat before guests. You know, you can't just walk in and start chowing down if, you know, if your neighbor's over or if, you know, if, uh, if your relatives are over. Because it teaches us that my appetite is not the most important thing. And so it's for me to reflect on that and that, you know, we all have needs that need to be equally met. And so mm-hmm. if we, sh- we, we, we wait together till everybody has, you know, till everybody's eaten before we eat, then I think that helps us to reflect, oh, wait a minute, I guess I do need to think about others more than I think about myself. And, and even beyond that, we, we, would, we couldn't even take food before the guests took food. You know, you couldn't just fill your plate up and then wait for them and then start eating. You know, you had to let them take it because I need to prioritize other people's hunger before I, or other people's appetites before I, before I look at my own. And, uh, and so, you know, for me, I see this in a sense as a warning for myself 
uh, as a pastor and a church leader. You know, I, I come from the context of Asia. I've, I've been there for, 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 for almost 21 years, uh, serving and ministering in churches and, uh, and stuff in Asia. And there's an idea of, uh, of, of pastors as gatekeepers. And I think this is an understanding of sort of the idea of a, of a shepherd who guards the sheep. Mm -hmm. And so, but then there's that balance between, okay, I'm a shepherd who guards the sheep, but ultimately it's Jesus who's the good shepherd. And so he's ultimately the one who guards the sheep. And so how am I in my ministry uh, making my own sheep? And how am I allowing Christ to guard his own sheep? Because he's the good shepherd. And so he's the one responsible. So it's a warning for me to not look at my own appetite, my appetite to be the one in charge, my appetite to be the gatekeeper, my appetite to be the one that makes the decisions and say, okay, Lord, I need to trust you to be able to take care of that. So for me, I think this is, it's a challenge for myself to, 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 to not become a false teacher. I think that's a great pit principle. And I, and I love that picture of <clears throat> serving others. It's not about me feeding my own appetite. It's about feeding others and, and keeping the focus on serving them. And, it, and in particular, in serving Christ, who is the head. And I think that's a principle that, that's here, not just for us as leaders in the church, but the church is the body. The church is, is everyone in it. Everyone is bringing gifts and serving together. And so I think that picture of, of, of serving one another with our giftedness is so important for leadership and those within the congregation. Tr troublemakers don't just happen at a leader level. Mm -hmm. You know, it sometimes comes from with, within. And so if all of us have that mindset of, of serving uh, one another and serving Christ, I think instead of our own appetite, allowing others to kind of eat first, I think that's a great picture there. And, and I think that jumps off from the sermon last week, the idea of everybody's a part of the body. And so we all have to share in the, in the appetites, but we also have to share in, in sharing with others. You know, I yeah. think it really ties in well with that. Yeah, it, Romans is one, it all ties. <laughs> it all ties. You know, we, we see that happening, so mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Uh, Paul gives us another principle to watch for. Troublemakers talk deceptively. Um, 18, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So do you have any pointers that can help <laughs> us discern deceptive talk? Yeah, I'm just giving you all the good questions here this morning. You know, I, you know, I, I guess it's like, um, it's like last week, you know, uh, Cal let Joel read all those names. So now you're letting me answer all the questions. <laughs> I'm giving you all the tough stuff. You're giving me all the tough stuff. You know, it took me a long time to think about this. Because, you know, the thing about deceptive talk is it's really good. <coughs> I mean, we like to listen to it. I mean, it, it, what, the word is smooth talk and flattery. I, I read a commentary. And the guy said, these are the urbane, witty, and sophisticated people. I mean, these are the people we like to listen to. You know, they, have, they know what to say. They know how to make us feel good. And, uh, and I think for a pointer in this point is we need to be careful. We need to match words with actions. Mm. Um, you know, it's easy to talk the talk, but, uh, you know, I'm going to say a cliche, but do we walk the walk? You know, I, I think there is some validity to that. People who know everything, the right things to say, um, but somehow there's something off. You know, there's just something that, that, you know, I guess our radar has to go off again of, is this person really, really telling the truth? Are they really leading us down the path towards righteousness or are they leading us elsewhere? Um, and, uh, you know, Romans, I think, is a how-to on how to do this. You know, I mean, right from the very beginning. 
And of course, you guys have been in this book for two years. And so, you know, do we remember two years ago what we talked about? But, you know, Paul is examining truth claims of religious and non-religious people, and he compares those to the truth of the gospel. And so it's this idea of always compare, always compare. Okay, I heard this guy say this thing. I watched this video. I went to this church. I heard my neighbor talking. So then we have to compare, okay, how does, how does this, you know, are, are, are they leading me down the garden path or are leading me the path to righteousness? And I think part of it is um, not everything Paul says in this book is easy to accept. For some reason, Paul thinks that I'm a sinner. <laughs> he thinks I'm not righteous. He thinks I need to stop doing my being selfish. Uh, you know, I don't like to hear that. Maybe you you love hearing that kind of stuff, but I'm sure that you're struggling with it too, and maybe, you know, the people at home. Uh, It would appear that false teachers present a very good-sounding gospel, you know, this idea that it doesn't require me to change. You know, I just need to sort of be a part of something without actually having to change myself. I don't need to accept something. I don't need to know that I'm a sinner. I don't need to know that I'm rebellious against God. You know, it's sort of this idea of of, uh, everything's okay. You know, just sort of wait, and God will take care of you. And I think there's, there's a sense of that's, that's a false gospel because it doesn't lead to change in life, in our lives. And it doesn't lead to something that's good. It's just bad news in a sense. I mean, of course, the gospel is good news. There is something good there. There is something that brings us joy. And, you know, it is a wonderful thing. But there's also a call to return to the way we were supposed to be and not simply remain who we are today. Well, I'm good enough. I've got just enough right stuff. And, and I think the truth... Uh, the truth um, the truth hurts. Um, and it's a reminder for me, I guess, as I present the good news of Jesus Christ. Am I presenting a good news that encourages life change or repentance? Or am I presenting a good news that has no impact on life at all? Um, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time on social media. You know, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you'll know I'm always on. Uh, and that's, I'm not saying that's a good thing, that's just a reality. And in social media, you know, there's sort of two rules if you disagree with somebody. One rule is just scroll on and ignore them and don't, get, you know, don't give them the time of day. Just find something nice to read. The other rule, of course, is just argue with them and convince them that they're wrong. Mm. Now, I quite often fall into that category rather than the scrolling past one. But, but I think the gospel brings us a third option. You know, it's not either ignore or fight. I think there's this third option to love others enough to form a relationship with them so we can have a conversation and, and, and journey together down the path. And I was reminded of um, when, when Eva and I first arrived in the Philippines, we studied uh, Tagalog so we could learn how to, sp- you know, you have to learn how to speak people's language. And, uh, um, and, 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 and our teacher, his name was Dante, he, he, he told a story about how a man had deeply offended him. He was teaching, he was teaching Tagalog, and, and somehow this man acted in an, in an inappropriate way for a Filipino. He wasn't a Filipino, he was, a, he, was a, he was like me, a foreigner. I didn't know who this guy was, but... But he had deeply offended Dante. And of course, you know, if I get deeply offended, you're going to find out about it. But it it was very interesting what Dante said. He said, you know what? I decided in my heart that I would make that man my friend so that when we became friends, he would realize how deeply he had hurt me. Mm -hmm. And that's a totally different perspective. You know, it's an idea of, okay, our friendship is more important you know, you'll understand you hurt me and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But really, it's the friendship that's the key thing. And I think, you know, I think to, 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 to not try to push, because sometimes maybe we might be, end up being offensive or deceptive in our talk, but to seek friendship and love from one another, I think, is, 
is a key to that. Mm. Um, I don't know. That's that's what I could come up with. <laughs> but, and I think that's the essence of the gospel in a, in a sense. Like mm-hmm. the gospel empowers us to forgive when we're offended, and to to embrace our enemies, to embrace those you know who who have hurt us, and to befriend them, uh, and and to to see change that comes through relationship. And I think that's a powerful a powerful perspective. Mm-hmm. So. We've got some things pointed out to us now from from Paul in this passage about what to watch for. Um, So how do we respond then when we see some of these things? Mm -hmm. Um, How do we react? And and in the passage here, Paul tells us to to keep away from them. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm just going to tell a quick story here if I can. Um, (laughs) I was in Alaska several years ago. We traveled to the, the village that I was a part of by plane, and then everything after that was by boat. And every once, and, and we were on a large river, the Kuskokwim River, so it's probably about one and a half times the width of the Saskatchewan. This is a big body of water coming mm-hmm. through. It wasn't very deep, though. But every once in a while, we would, off in the distance, we'd see a moose swimming across the river. And you could see them a long ways off because there was this big black cloud of mosquitoes over top of them. <laughs> but it was, it was very interesting because I don't know how close you've, into wildlife. I mean, we could get this far away, literally. Mm. They are huge and mm. powerful and beautiful. And we would come with the boat and we would just go alongside and try and watch them. And I think a while back there was a video of a, a hunter here in Saskatchewan, you know, grabbing a moose and jumping on him. That's just dumb. Mm. We're not doing that. Okay, mm. that we're not condoning that at all. We just wanted to watch. But as we came alongside, they would always turn away. And we'd come and they'd mm. turn and they'd, they'd just keep turning. Even if they had to swim further, hmm. and this was a big river already, they'd already swum a long ways, um, but they would continually turn away. And when they it finally got shallow enough for them to catch bottom, they didn't turn on us or anything like that. They caught bottom and into the bush, and those big guys would just shake their heads a couple times with those horns. I don't know how they got through the, the trees <laughs> so quickly, but they were just gone. Hmm. And, and that's interesting. In Romans 16, 17, Paul says, keep away from them. Hmm. And as a response, in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, he says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Don't associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So we're to keep away from those who put obstacles in our way. And that that word obstacle is actually a really interesting word. Um, It actually means, it identifies the portion of the trap that the bait is laid on. And so, I mean, you and I both know if you touch that, boom, the trap is sprung and you're caught. So the, the picture is there, is don't even touch it because then it's too late already. So I think that's a good image, a couple of images there to turn away. Don't listen, don't engage. Turn away at every opportunity and get away as soon as you're able. That seems to be what Paul is sharing, uh, telling us to do here when we, when we come up against these. We're not to turn on them, but to turn away, even if it takes a little more energy. Mm-hmm. But Paul also tells us to, to wise up, mm-hmm. to be wise. I don't know if you've ever told your kids, hey, wise up, you know, but they're Smart, smarten up, smarten up, the same thing or is well, different? <laughs> yeah, maybe I guess it's language, but same, same, concept, <laughs> same concept, right? But Paul says, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil. So there's that, that kind of wise up principle I see there. So mm-hmm. here I'm going to give you one of these questions again. How do we understand Paul's comment 
first of all, on the obedience of the Roman believers. We'll start with that, and then we'll talk about this wisdom piece. Well, I think we obey because we're convinced of something. You know, uh, we obey traffic rules because we're convinced it'll keep us safe on the, on the road. And, you know, we, we're convinced of a truth that needs to be believed or we're convinced of an action that needs to be completed. We're convinced of a way that needs to be followed. You know, there's some kind of, a, of, of, of something that it's not said. Well, I guess we know that they were convinced because the Romans followed because Paul is commending them. He's saying, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are actually obedient. And, and, and I don't think it's a blind a blind following, you know, okay, well, somebody told me to jump, I guess I'll jump, you know, there's a cliff there while I, you know, well, you know, they told me, I don't think it's a blind following. I think this is with eyes wide open, Mm. knowing full well what obedience means and saying, this is the path I've chosen. I'm going to follow that path because I've evaluated it and I've seen that it's good and it's going to be beneficial for me. So I'm going to go and it's going to bring glory to God. And so I'm going to go through on that path. And I think that's, I think that really, that's what it is. And, and, And the Romans were clearly obedient which is an interesting thing for Romans uh, because, you know, we typically identify Romans with, you know, Roman Empire and stuff like that. Do they do their own thing? But these, these Roman believers were, were, were obedient to a path they knew was a valuable path to follow. Mm. And, and that obedience brought protection. They were, mm. I get the picture of, of kind of there's that old adage, you're so busy doing what's good and right so that you don't have time to do what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. obedience protected them. They were, they were following that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we understand then this next part of it about this wisdom piece, be wise in what is good? What, what does that mean? How can we be wise in what's good? Mm-hmm. Well, wise in, being wise in what's good is somebody who's skilled. You know, that's, that's also a word that they use here. Uh, somebody who's practiced so much that it becomes second nature. And, uh, you know, you, you're a motorcycle guy. Uh, I, in the past, have been a golfer. Now, I'm not claiming to be a good golfer, but I have enjoyed a few rounds of golf. Uh, I think the last time I golfed, I golfed with Pastor Layton, and I got a birdie. So we both got birdies <laughs> on one hole. We were happy about that. But I remember the day I took one of my colleagues to the, to the driving range for the first time. And, uh, um, and uh, so he hit the first ball, and it was a slice. Then he hit the second ball, and it was a hook. And so he said to me, he says, well, what's the secret to hitting it straight? And I said to him, well, that's the secret of golf. <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about. How do you hit the thing straight? I think Daniel actually gave me a book once uh, for, for my birthday called The Secret of Golf, The Secret of Golf. There were a hundred secrets in the book, but each of them was <laughs> the right one. But, but it comes down to what they say, muscle memory. You know, you do something enough times, uh, your, your, your muscles will automatically do that without thinking. Uh, and I, I think when I started golf, a friend of mine gave me a, just a short little uh, metal, um, it wasn't even a golf club. It was, it was a practice swing, and there was a weight on one end, and then there was, there was a, a molded hand grip on the other end so that you would, you would, you would it, it train your hands how to, how to grip the club. And beforehand, I used to, you know, before I used to grip the club like a baseball bat. And after I used this thing every day for, you know, I'd swing it around in my office every day for a couple of minutes, the next time I gripped the club, it automatically just came together because my hands knew what to do because they were skilled in... Uh, in uh, it, because they've been practiced in doing that. It sort of became second nature. And I think maybe we need to become skilled in, in, in doing good. Mm. So it's a second nature to us. So we don't have to think about, should I do good today or not? It just automatically comes out. Yeah, that, that's a great picture, that practicing doing what's right, doing what's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul goes on and he says, we're supposed to be innocent in what is evil. Um, and there's that, that picture there of being untainted and inexperienced in what's evil. Now, this is a bit of a tougher question. Some people have 
come to Christ from a, from a tough past. Um, they have experience with quote-unquote evil simply because of the situation that God called them out of. So how can those with a difficult past be innocent or inexperienced in evil? Yeah, you know, that's a good question uh, because the, the two don't go to hand in hand. You know, a hardened, a hardened sinner like we all are, but then becoming innocent. And, <clears throat> and I think it comes down to this word that, that gets used a lot, repentance, mm. changing the way we think and the way we act. Um, and, 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 and I think that's why at some point in our faith journey, we undergo what's called a conversion. I mean, I, there's other words, there's being born again. So, you know, being born again means you're a new, it's new, you've got a new life. And so there is an innocence associated with that. But this idea of conversion, which, which typically in English means uh, some kind of a switching that happens. You were this way before, and now you're this way now. Um, I like uh, in one of the Tagalog words that, that I've learned over the years is, is, is a word for conversion. And uh, it, it, it means, uh, well, I guess I can say the word. Uh, you know, we were talking about well, I want you to say it because I've been trying to read it in your notes that. here. Well, I can't say that at all. Well, last night we were talking in our men's uh, Bible study about... Yep. Uh, cross-cultural experience. And so we talked about, hey, maybe we should speak different languages in church. So I'll tell you what the word is, pagbabalik loob. And, okay, uh, you got to say that again. Pagbabalik loob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're going to post that on the screen, but anyway, <laughs> trust me that that's what it is. But basically it means a return to being an authentic human being. So there's a, there's a concept of you have this idea, the loob, which is sort of who you truly are inside. And there's this idea of balik. So it means you've left that but now you need to return to that. And I think it, it, it's, a, it's a great picture of the, of the gospel. You know, it's, it's like somebody who has been lost, but now they've been found. You know, they've gone away from a, the path they're supposed to be on, and then they've, they've found a new path. They found the, they've gone back to the path because they've been found. And, 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 and there's something that's been regained. You know, I, we emphasize in theology, you know, original sin. I mean, certainly there's, that's the doctrine that we believe. But prior to original sin, there's original righteousness. You know, Adam and Eve were created righteous in the garden. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of what we hearken back to. We want to be back to that original, authentic human experience. And, uh, and, 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 and I think a rediscovery of that truth makes somebody innocent again. Mm -hmm. as, we, as we explore, oh, wait a minute, I, I can do something good. So now we're innocent. Okay, how, what are the ways I can be good? You know, we've, we know all the ways we can be bad. So let's explore and be innocent in the ways we can be good and try to find out and become seasoned veterans at being good. Seasoned veterans at being good. Rediscovering that innocence again. I, those are great pictures. I, I know that some would be familiar with this, but I'm reminded of the, the Micah 7:19, where God says, I will hurl all of your iniquities into the depths of the sea. And some people have, have really simplified this. I, I may have even seen a little cartoon there of a, you know, a boat and they've thrown all of the, your, our iniquities, our sins into the ocean and then there's a no fishing sign that's posted, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe you've seen that as well, but there's that imagery of the past is in the past. God mm -hmm. does not dredge it up again. And so that, because that's not brought up again, mm -hmm. there's, we're in that place of innocence then to, to live from, from there on and not from the old past again. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. great pictures here. Mm -hmm. So when it comes mm -hmm. to dealing with troublemakers, I'm going to go with some W words here this morning. We're okay. to watch out. Mm -hmm. Paul gave us a number of things to watch for. We've seen a few of those today, talked about them. We're to wise up in terms of, of how we interact and don't interact, uh, to be wise in terms of 
of innocence and, and to be inexperienced in evil, but very experienced in good. Uh, I'm going to use another W here. Lastly, we're to rest in God's winning record. So watch out, wise up, think of God's winning record. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So here's a question. In all of this deeply theological book of Romans, this is the first time in the last chapter, in almost the last section, where Paul actually mentions Satan. Mm -hmm. So why does he wait so long? I mean, why did you bring it up now instead of sooner? What's the meaning of it in, in this portion that we're looking at? Yeah, well, that's interesting. Maybe it's sort of saying that, you know, maybe Satan isn't that important after all, in the sense of, you know, he's not really part of the scene. He's, he's there. He's not the focus. He's not the focus. He's, oh, right, yeah, we're a Satan, right, right, right. Let's, let's talk about him, I think, maybe. Um, it, it reminded me, actually, to be honest, of Genesis chapter 3. And so, you know, it's interesting, you know, here we have Romans, which is sort of a really complex, uh, rich, deep expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that gospel started in Romans, in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Adam and Eve have just fallen into sin. Um, they've just been cursed, cast out of the garden. Uh, you know, women, uh, you know, Adam's going to have to slave and, and to, to, you know, to pick weeds so that something will grow. You know, when Eve has babies, it's going to be hard for her. Uh, and they're, 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 they're cast out. But then there's this statement that, uh, that Paul makes. And I'll pull my glasses on to read this. He says, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, which means, you know, uh, to, she's talking, he's talking to, to, to Satan. You know, you and the woman are going to be enemies, he says, between your offspring and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so there's this idea of, here's, the, here's what Paul is talking about, that, that you will cr crush Satan under your feet. Because the idea of the seed of the woman, who, of course, in Genesis, the context is it's Jesus Christ, ultimately, who will crush Satan under his heel. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so the idea of the author of evil, Satan, would be crushed under the feet of the woman's seed. But, but yet Paul somehow identifies these feet as being our feet. And, and, and so that's sort of, okay, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus' feet? And then, of course, we have to remember that the church is the body of Christ, and so the church's feet are Christ's feet. And so somehow we're involved in the crushing of this, of Satan through our actions. Um, and maybe that's why it's at the end of, 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 of Romans, because Paul is saying, hey, this is the truth about who you are in Christ. This is the truth about what I've done for you. This is the truth about the good news. And when Satan comes along, well, you guys are going to crush him anyway, because this is the truth. And the truth is that he is crushed. Um, it, the idea of feet also, I like to jump around. I, I, you know, I hear a word and then it jumps around, uh, jumped around the Bible sometimes. You know, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Uh, you know, Isaiah talks about the feet of the one who brings good news. You know, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. And so the idea of the feet again, and I, I'd like to connect this to the foot that crushes Satan. And so the crushing of Satan is good news. It's a beautiful news. It's a wonderful story. And, and it's interesting, again, I guess, how this crushing, which is a very aggressive act, is identified here in the verse as being done by the God of peace. Mm. So how can something so violent and, and destructive, the crushing, be something that's peaceful? And I guess maybe it's that true peace can only happen when Satan is crushed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's absolutely true. Yeah. True peace happens when, when Satan is is out of the picture. Mm -hmm. True peace comes when, when God comes completely into that picture. And, and it's interesting, God is seen as the God of peace. 
Um, I'm just going to jump off of that for a little bit here, but another question. Are, thing, are there things that we can do in the midst of trouble in the church, but even in our own, own lives, I think, to enhance God's, God's peace in our lives? Mm-hmm. What would some of those be? Well, I think it, it's, it's unfortunate it takes a lifetime to figure this out. You know, it'd be nice if we figured out these peace-bringing actions earlier on in life. Um, uh, you know, I think for, for me, in my experience, you know, ideas such as meditation and mindfulness, which sort of gets people, oh, wait, mindfulness. The idea of sort of meditating on the Word of God, you know, and on your law I meditate day and night, it says in Psalm 1, verse 2. And so there's this idea of that we, we, we reflect upon God, the mindfulness being simply, you know, understanding of who we are in a moment, um, knowing that we are ch- children of God, and, and, and the Scripture itself that will bring peace to our minds. Because it's like you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're so busy doing good, how can you start doing wrong things? And I think if we're, we're so focused on the Word of God and understanding the truths that, that God tells us as we meditate on God's Word day and night, we don't have time to meditate on all that other stuff that, that, that's negative. And I think it does help to bring us out of a bad mindset. Uh, there's also the idea of pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5.17 you know, constantly being in prayer, yeah. you know, not simply praying before you eat or praying before you go to bed or praying in church, but just constantly being in a, in a, in a, in a time of prayer throughout days. You know, temptation comes, we'll pray to God. Um, there's a victory, we'll give thanks to God. Mm-hmm. If there's a problem, we'll bring it before God. Yeah. And I think that, you know, focusing that, that idea that I have a God who's with me, who can help me through this time of trouble, I think that's a good thing. And then, of course, in Ephesians and Colossians, we read about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, uh, you know, singing songs, and I actually do this. You know, I have a song that I sing that I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> you got your mic, we could hear. I well, mean, you know, I could sing, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I sing the song, you know, when, when, I was, when I was younger, you know, there was a song, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Uh, Cast me not away from thy presence. It's King James even, so it tells you when I learned the song. Uh, but, and renew a right spirit within me. And so sometimes mm. I'll just sing that song to myself. If, I, if I'm in, a, in, in the wrong, uh, wrong headspace, if I'm going down temptation, uh, if I'm being led astray, I'll sing the song, and, and, and that will, will bring God's peace to me. Mm. The God of peace. I mean, mm. that's, that's an incredible blessing that we enjoy as children of God, to be in that position to encounter the God of peace, uh, you know, daily and regularly as our Father. Mm. Uh, it's an incredible thing. God of peace is actually one of the names of God. Mm-hmm. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Uh, and He is. In First Corinthians, Paul wrote again, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So, I mean, this is God's plan for the church, to be at peace with each other and to be an example, I think, of how God brings peace. And that's in total contrast to what what our spiritual enemy brings to the church. Um, so just kind of wrapping up here, we've seen from the passage that we need to watch out, mm-hmm. we need to be wise, and we need to remember that God has won the victory. Mm-hmm. So watch out, be wise, remember God's won. Um, can you wrap up, there's another W there, <laughs> uh, with what we talked about here this morning with just a couple of key statements and it just kind of, there's a lot of stuff that we've looked at here, but if you could just boil it down and roll it down to a couple of key things, that's probably the toughest question of the day. Yeah, it probably is, yeah, and I don't know if my answer is, uh, is up, to, up to snuff, but we'll have to see, I guess. Um, 
I, I didn't come up with any alliteration or, or pithy statements, but uh, um, I need to uh, brush up on my pastor skills, I think. But um, I, I guess, first of all, the idea, we don't need to fear divisions or false teaching in the church because we've been prepared to deal with it. You know, I think understanding the book of Romans is a preparation for knowing the truth and, and a preparation, I think, for also understanding how to break down division. Mm -hmm. um, because we see, you know, examples throughout Romans of those things. So we don't need to fear those kind of things yeah. because we're, we've been equipped for that. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an encouragement. Um, you know, we're not going into this cold, oh no, what am I going to do? There is something there. Now, don't get me wrong, division and false teaching is painful and it, you know, it's, it's wounds last for a long time, but yet it's good news yeah. that there is an end to that. And, uh, you know, I think both of us have experienced that and have seen that there's a way out the end of, you know, of, of these conflicts in the church. And I guess the second one is that, you know, I, as for me, I guess as a leader, uh, wherever I might be, whether I'm leading, I suppose, a church, whether I'm leading uh, a group, uh, whether I'm leading my family, you know, we don't need to try to gain followers for ourselves because Jesus Christ himself, he provides a new way of doing things that is much better than what I can offer. You know, uh, I might be able to think of great systems. And, I, you know, if you want me to talk about what I think the church should be like, we can talk about that. But really, it's ultimately Christ who really knows what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think I need to try to bring followers to Christ rather than followers to myself. Those are things that jumped out at me from, from these verses we looked at today. Mm. Great wrap-ups. Um, great, great takeaways again. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. You put a lot of work into this, prepping it, and right on the tail end of a class, so you were, you were a busy guy. Uh, so I appreciate the time that you put into this. I thank you for coming here today and sharing with, uh, with us uh, the insights that you brought. We, we really appreciate that. I'd like just to take a minute here and pray for you and, and pray for the church. I think this is a, a good opportunity to do that. So, Father, this morning I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the wisdom that comes through it for us as your people. Uh, I want to thank you for what we've seen here in this message from Paul. And I thank you that we don't need to fear trouble, that you've prepared us in terms of how to deal with it, in terms of what to watch for and be aware of. Uh, give us your spirit to understand these things and apply them as they come. Uh, give us understanding as well in terms of of recognizing that your plan is so much greater than anything that we could come up with on our own. And when we're tempted to, to move in those directions and perhaps um, feed our own appetite, to just submit that to you in recognition of the, the grand plan that you have for your church and for us as your people. And so, Lord Jesus, we say thank you for that today. And we want to thank you for Ebenezer. We want to thank you for the, the time of peace that our church has experienced for so many years. I ask that you bless our leadership, uh, Leighton and those on the board and others in leadership around the church. Uh, give them a, a continued hunger and desire to, to glorify you and seek you and seek you in terms of what you would have for the bigger picture of this place. And we, we give ourselves to you in that way, even now as we're working through what Ebenezer looks like perhaps after this pandemic has passed. So give us your wisdom in that. And I thank you for Michael and Eva. Thank you for the work in the Philippines. And I just pray that you would continue to bless them uh, as they work there and as they look forward to, to getting back. And I just pray that you would bless them and allow them to be a blessing as they, they exist in this place, uh, living in Daniel's um, suite right now and visiting and, and connecting uh, online with so many. I just pray that you would bless them in that way too and, and just encourage them 
um, despite what next week or next month might look like for them, it's a bit of a mystery, but you know. And so we want to take encouragement in that. And I commit them to you now uh, for that good work. And again, for this time, we give you praise and thanks. And we commit ourselves to you in that amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Ebenezer family. This is Pastor Kelly here this morning sharing with you from the last chapter of Romans. Now, despite it taking some time, our journey through Romans, I believe, has been rich and rewarding, and now it's nearing the end. Believe it or not, next week is our last message from, from the book. Today, we're talking about a difficult, but I believe very important topic, and that's how do we deal with troublemakers in the church? If you've been around the church for any period of time, you're well aware of the unfortunate reality that Every church has trouble, it seems, at one time or another. It doesn't matter if the congregation is large or small or if the church is new or well-established or what denomination the church belongs to. It doesn't seem to make a difference who the pastor is or what form of governance the church practices. Every church has problems at one point or another. Now, last week, Pastor Cal and Pastor Joel brought us back to the book of Romans by looking at the first part of chapter 16. And in that section, Paul extends warm personal greetings to many of those within the Roman church. And Cal and Joel did a great job of sharing some of the stories and insights that came from, from those names and pointing out, I think, most importantly, that the gospel brings unity. There's something in the gospel, that common bond of faith in Christ that brings unity despite diversity and in the midst of diversity. Then Paul, immediately after sharing those encouragements to the church, he shifts gears rather quickly to include a stern warning about those who cause division in the church. Now, at this point in time, I think it's important to remember why Paul wrote this letter to the church in the first place. Romans was written to address the disunity between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers and to correct faulty doctrine. During Paul's missionary journeys, Paul also dealt with a multitude of false teachers and troublemakers. And so he knew what, what that was about. He recognized them. He knew what they smelled like. He knew what they looked like. And so in this short section of verses 17 to 20 of chapter 16, it appears that Paul is doing some teaching in order to equip the church to deal with those who would cause problems. He was anticipating this ahead of time. Now, at this point in time, I want to say a huge thank you to the leadership at Ebenezer. Ebenezer has a good reputation, I believe, when it comes to dealing with issues. We are not looking at this chapter or this section this morning because there's a problem in Ebenezer. I want to make that very clear. We're looking at this topic because it's in the text that we're studying, and we want to honor the scripture. This topic, however, or on how to deal with troublemakers in the church, is, well, is one rather where we would do well to include more than one voice and one perspective. And so this morning, I've invited one of our missionaries to join us, and that's Michael Fast. Some of us are very familiar with Michael and Eva and their family. Uh, Michael has served in the Philippines along with his family, with Eva in particular, for 20 years where they have an exciting ministry sharing Christ and just doing some very practical ministry things down there as well. So welcome here, Michael. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. 
Well, a little bit. We're, we're supposed <laughs> to be on a plane right now going back to the Philippines, but that's not happening because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're waiting for that. But, uh, but you know, things are still good. It's not all bad. It's not all good. It's, it's normal life. Normal life. Lots, and lots of good in the midst of that. You're doing yes. a, a little yeah. bit of traveling, visiting family. Yeah. And I understand you just finished teaching a, a class. Yes. What was that, what was that class called? Um, well, because of the, of, the, of the COVID crisis, we, we thought we should offer a class that's not typically offered in a Bible school or seminary. We called it Pastoring in Times of Crisis, uh, specifically, of course, targeted towards COVID-related uh, mm -hmm. issues in the church and in society. Um, and uh, so all of our students are Filipinos around the world. And uh, it was very well received, I think. So we talked about some issues the church faces. Um, uh, much probably the same as issues that, that churches in Canada are facing when it comes to, uh, mm -hmm. to, to lockdown and quarantine. Uh, but I think we also provided a, a venue for pastors just to connect with one another. You know, it's, there's a lot of isolation that happens. And so just to be able to, to talk and, and hear what other people are saying and, and, and share what's going on in your own life, it, it's really a good, a good uh, opportunity for that. So we're very happy with how the class went. That's fantastic. I know you've enjoyed it. We chatted a little bit about that before. Mm -hmm. It's been a, big, a great experience for you. And, and I'm looking forward to having you, you sharing here. You've got years of experience. You've got family that's been in ministry for a long time. You've just taught this class. And so no pressure, <laughs> but boy, we are looking for, forward to you bringing a lot to the table here this morning. So I'll invite Michael to dig into this conversation a little bit more in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I want to begin with the words of Jesus today. Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Now, Jesus warns his followers that there will be people who, call, who will cause trouble in the church. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that troublemakers are so prevalent, really. Ever since the church was formed, she's been plagued by troublemakers. Some wanted to destroy the church. Uh, some wanted to influence the church and shape them into their way of thinking and doing things. Paul was very aware of this as well. And so he begins his warning to the church uh, in Rome with the same words as Jesus. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord uh, Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So how do we deal with troublemakers in the church? Jesus and Paul tell us the same thing. Watch out. Watch out actually comes from the same root word as scrutinize. It means to examine often, uh, intensely, and, and purposefully to check on and check out. Now, a lot of you know that I like to ride old motorcycles. And whenever I go riding in traffic, I am constantly watching and checking the drivers around me. I'm watching to see if someone's looking in their mirror, you know? Mm. They might be wanting to make a lane change. If they're looking over their, over their shoulder, you're watching for that sort of thing. Um, sometimes you watch the wheels of oncoming traffic. because, Like, where are they wandering? Where are they going to go? That gives you some clues. Um, I stay out of blind spots. That's really important. I, I know they ride a lot of little, little mopeds in the Philippines. You probably don't see all of this all the time. <laughs> it's not quite the same. But I, I, I work to be very defensive. Um, I'm staying away from those who look like they're in a hurry. Hmm. You know, I watch those who seem like they're not paying attention. I stay away from really loud stereos because hmm. I know their mind's not on what they're driving. They're into their music. And so 
I'm always, I'm always watching and I'm always riding and I'm always giving myself an out if someone doesn't see me. So I'm, I'm scrutinizing, I guess like that word. I'm scrutinizing everything around me, trying to, trying to anticipate what will happen because your life could literally depend on it. And I think we had a little bit of a, a clip uh, while I was chatting there of riding in traffic. Uh, and I just want, I want our people to know that I used a GoPro that was strapped to the front of my chest to shoot that. I wasn't holding up my cell phone, you know, <laughs> driving down the street, taking that, that bit of footage. Um, but it's interesting because this, I think, is what Paul tells us to do. We need to watch out. We need to scrutinize. We need to constantly keep our eyes open for what's going, around, uh, going on around us. And I gave examples of, of what I watch for when I ride my bike, but Paul actually gives us a number of things to watch for as well when it comes to dealing with troublemakers. And the first thing he tells us to, to watch out for is wrong teaching. Troublemakers teach wrong doctrine. They teach, in verse 17 it says, they teach what is contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Now here's why I want to bring Michael into the conversation again. You've just finished teaching your online class. You've had years of experience. You've been involved in, in watching churches grow and leaders come. Um, so again, you're well prepared. <laughs> Looking forward to what you've got to, to share with us today. But here's my question. What do we need to watch for that can help us identify wrong teaching? Well, and I think, yeah, I think you, 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 you mentioned a bit earlier uh, with your uh, motorcycle idea you know, part of drive, being a driver is understanding the rules of the road. And I think we have to start from a positive, uh, a positive perspective rather than negative. So I think rather than looking for um, uh, wrong teachings, we need to understand what is the right teaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of my life I've heard an illustration about bank tellers. And I, I did talk to an expert, uh, an actual bank teller the other day, um, and apparently bank tellers, because they handle money all the time, uh, real money, they know when fake money comes along. Of course, they receive training about, you know, what's the right kind of money, you know, what do you need to look for. Um, and I think te as technology progresses, it's harder for them to... Uh, to know, uh, you know, it, it's harder, it's, it's easier for them to be fooled. But the fakes are getting better. The fakes are getting better. Um, but the idea is, is that if you handle something that, that, is, that, is, that is right or genuine all the time, as soon as you get something that's not genuine, you know right away there's something off about that. And so I think it's the same, it's the same with, with our life uh, um, and with, with the truth of God's Word. Um, you know, and I think each of us sort of has a little radar that we use uh, as we try to evaluate truth and, uh, and truth claims. Of course, nowadays, of course, fake news and, you know, some people like uh, uh, fact-checking websites, other people don't like them. Uh, you know, how do we know if, it, if, if a teacher or a politician is telling the truth? I think we have a series of, uh, of five factors, I think, that influence every person when it comes to understanding the truth. And I think, particularly for us, but I think for a lot of people, the Bible is one of those things. Uh, and we see that here. You know, Paul says, he talks about... Uh, you know, contrary to what you've heard. So there's this idea that they've been taught the truth. And so how do they know if something is, 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 is false if it's contrary to that? And so I think we evaluate things based on what the Bible has to say. And there's a lot of people, I think, who read the Bible. Um, um, uh, there's a lot, I think there's an understanding the Bible is, is sort of a valid book for, for teaching morality and for teaching right and wrong. But, but I think there's also a segment of society who, who isn't, doesn't really trust the Bible for whatever reason. So, you know, we don't know what they are. Um, but um, it, it's interesting that, that people are drawn to ancient teachings. And, and as, as I was thinking about uh, your question, 
um, as I was preparing for this. I, I remember a, a little uh, New Testament portion that we have in the Philippines. I'm not sure if they have it here. It's called Mang Manga Messiah. Manga is a, is a type of, of cartooning that's, that's done in Japan. And uh, so they've done sort of a graphic novel. Uh, a graphic novel is a modern word for a comic book of the Bible. And uh, it's interesting how they start out this manga messiah. They, they say it's adapted from the ancient texts. Mm. And I thought that's very interesting. The ancient texts. So somehow there's something, some ancient teaching. And the Bible is, is actually an ancient text. And I think that people like to have, uh, like to, to, there's some validity to that and some authority there. But people aren't just into reading the Bible. Uh, or, or believing the Bible, family members are also significant in shaping what we believe is true or not. Um, and, and in Romans chapter 16, you know, there's lots of family language that we see here. You know, he talks about brothers and sisters. He talks about Timothy, his co-worker. He talks about Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, who are Jewish from birth like me, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, Quartus. Uh, you know, our brother in the Christian faith. So there's this family language. So the idea of, you know, this thing that I'm teaching isn't just some ancient text. It's also something that we as a family believe. And certainly our family shapes the kind of truth that we believe. So we look at the Bible, we look at our family. And then we also look for people who have special knowledge. And, you know, I have to be careful what I say because people sometimes think about me or think about people who are in our position mm -hmm. who are called pastors as being sort of special knowledge. And, and I guess we have studied a little bit maybe about about the Bible and about, you know, about, about pro proclaiming the good news. But, you know, people do look for guides in their spiritual journey. You know, whether somebody is a pastor, whether somebody is a, a spiritual director, um, or, you know, whether somebody is even in, 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 in the non-religious world, whether somebody is an expert or somebody who's smart or somebody who's studied or, you know, whatever, whatever category, there are people who are significant. And, uh, you know, I've heard statistics that during this COVID-19 um, crisis, a lot of people have been, have been tuning into church online. More people than normally would come to a church, they said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what's happening. Uh, and I think people are looking for some kind of guidance from, 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 from the church and from, you know, from somebody who, who can guide them to, to, to the answers to life's questions. Um, and of course, I guess that ties into the fourth factor, which is sort of a congregational or institutional idea. And I, you know, for me, the word institutional sort of rubs me the wrong way because of my generation. But, but you know, um, Paul talks here uh, in, in a number of these verses that we just read you know, making others fall away. And so I, I, I thought about this falling away. So if you're falling away from something, that means that there is something that's been established, uh, something to fall from, a standard or a set of rules or an agreement where the community stands together. And I think we, we do like to have a community. We like mm -hmm. to have a, a cohort of people that we, that, we, that we interact with, whether it's, I don't know if you're part of a motorcycle club, uh, you know, people like to be a part of a church. I'm uh, a part of my small group. I'm not, <laughs> I have a motorcycle club in my own garage, I suppose. <laughs> but you, you know, you don't have a patch on your back no, or something. No, I'm not yeah. a patch where. Um, you know, and so there, you know, people I think like to identify with people of like mind. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that does have a shape, that does shape us as we understand the truth and make our decisions. But all of this together, I think, is, is sort of ways that help shape our own personal experience. And, uh, you know, none of us comes into, you know, it's not like we come into a church and, okay, I'm gonna listen to the Bible today. It doesn't really work that way. All of these things, I think, are constantly influencing us. Um, and I think Paul, even, even in reading through Romans, I mean, Romans is a very in-depth study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and, and, and he, he's, he's always trying to convince people to modify or update their own way of determining evil or determining good and making right decisions. And, and so we all, you know, we all use these, these different factors to help shape who we are. And we see this in conversation. You know, we, we always seek affirmation for our own ideas. And I think the, you know, the, the, the Canadianism, you know, Canadians are known for saying A. And I think that's, that in some ways, that's a, that's a, a sort of a cry for affirmation. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm making a statement and I'm adding A to the end of that and a sort of an idea of, do you share that idea with me? Is, does it make sense? Are you going to, are you going to ridicule me or are you going to accept me in my ideas? And so, you know, that's part of our, I think, the markers that we use within our daily conversation. Um, so I think we're all very well equipped to understand good and evil. And I think what, what Paul wants us to do is tweak that a little bit so that we understand good and evil from God's perspective. Yeah. I mean, good stuff here, Michael. All these different factors, and when we bring them together, not just separately, but when all of them start to come together and align, I mean, then, then we can have a, a more solid grasp on what is actually true. I, and I really like that, that idea of if we handle something consistently, then we know when something fake comes along because it, it feels different. Mm-hmm. And if we're in the Word, we're handling it constantly. I, I mean, I think that's the point, obviously, here. Yeah, and, I think so. And yeah. there's just, I think, a challenge there for us as people of God to be, to be in the Word, to be reading, to be understanding, to be handling it mm-hmm. um, so that we can teach it with accuracy and, and handle it appropriately. Now, Paul gives us another thing to watch for when it comes to identifying troublemakers. He says, troublemakers are self-serving, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Mm-hmm. So this notion of appetite is interesting. Like, okay, <laughs> confessions here for a minute. My brothers and I, in the middle of three, used to have a weigh-in before and after Christmas dinner to see who could gain the most weight. Okay, that's maybe not the most appropriate appetite, but that's some of the crazy stuff that we used to do. But, but there's this notion of serving our own appetites here. Uh, it seems to indicate that trouble comes when people are striving to have their own ambitions met their own appetites met within the context of church. So, so just another question for you, or for, for you this morning. How can we identify someone who is self-serving? You know, what can we watch for? How, how can we identify someone who's trying to meet their own ambitions, their own appetites? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that, that's, that's, hard, to, that's, hard, to, that's a hard one to figure out, you know, because it, it's, hard to, it's hard to know... Um, both from identifying somebody else's appetites and then our own appetites. You know, how do we know that? But I mean, I think, you know, theologically, you know, we want to avoid those who take emphasis away from the Word. And in, 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 as believers, the Word has two aspects to it. There's, of course, the Word of God, like the written Word of God that is the Bible. But, but deeper than that, there's the living Word of God who's Jesus Christ. And I think those have to be central to any um, uh, to any desire. I think people who are desiring more of God's Word, whether it's written or, or living, are people who we need to, to, to be following and people mm. who are, are shying away from that. So how do we know about that? And, and I think uh, for me, I guess it's, it's a call to examine myself. You know, am I interested in feeding my own appetites? You know, because I, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, you know, if there's something to share, you know, I'm, I, you know I, I have siblings, I have brothers and sisters, so we know if something is shared properly or not. You know what I mean? You know how to cut the, the cake, you know how to cut the piece of pie so that nobody gets more than their fair share because everybody wants more than their fair share, and I do that too. And so how do I do that? And, and I guess maybe our parents teach us this, maybe our mothers particularly. There was a rule in our house when we were kids um, 
uh, don't eat before guests. You know, you can't just walk in and start chowing down if you know if your neighbor's over or if you know if your uh, if your relatives are over, because it teaches us that my appetite is not the most important thing, and so it's for me to reflect on that and that. You know, we all have needs that need to be equally met, and so if we sh we, we we wait together till everybody has you know till everybody's eaten before we eat, then I think that helps us to reflect. Now, oh, wait a minute. I guess I do need to think about others more than I think about myself, and and even beyond that, we we would we couldn't even take food before the guests took food. You know, you couldn't just fill your plate up and then wait for them and then start eating. You know, you had to let them take it because I need to prioritize other people's hunger before I, or other people's appetites before I, before I look at my own. And, uh, and so, you know, for me, I see this in a sense as a warning for myself uh, as a pastor and a church leader. You know, I, I come from the context of Asia. I've, I've been there for, 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 for almost 21 years. Uh, serving and ministering in churches and uh, and stuff in Asia, and there's an idea of uh, of of pastors as gatekeepers, and I think this is an understanding of sort of the idea of a, of a shepherd who guards the sheep. Mm -hmm. And so, but then there's that balance between okay, I'm a shepherd who guards the sheep, but ultimately it's Jesus who's the good shepherd, and so he's ultimately the one who guards the sheep. And so, how am I in my ministry uh, making my own sheep? And how am I allowing Christ to guard his own sheep? Because he's the good shepherd. And so he's the one responsible. So it's a warning for me to not look at my own appetite. My appetite to be the one in charge. My appetite to be the gatekeeper. My appetite to be the one that makes the decisions and say, okay, Lord, I need to trust you to be able to take care of that. So for me, I think this is, it's a challenge for myself to, 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 to not become a false teacher. I think that's a great pit principle. And I, and I love that picture of <clears throat> serving others. It's not about me feeding my own appetite. It's about feeding others and, and keeping the focus on serving them, and, and in particular in serving Christ, who is the head. And I think that's a principle that, that's here, not just for us as leaders in the church, mm -hmm. but the church is the body. The church is, is everyone in it. Everyone is bringing gifts and serving together. And so I think that picture of of, of serving one another with our giftedness is so important for leadership and those within the congregation. Tr troublemakers don't just happen at a leader level. Mm -hmm. You know, it sometimes comes from with, within. And so if all of us have that mindset of, of serving uh, one another and serving Christ, I think instead of our own appetite, allowing others to kind of eat first, I think mm -hmm. that's a great picture there. And, and I think that jumps off from the sermon last week, the idea of everybody's a part of the body. And so we all have to share in the in the appetites, but we also have to share in, in sharing with others. You know, I yeah. think it really ties in well with that. Yeah, it, Romans is one, it, it all ties. <laughs> it all ties. You know, we, we see that happening, so mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Uh, Paul gives us another principle to watch for. Troublemakers talk deceptively. Um, 18, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So do you have any pointers that can help <laughs> us discern deceptive talk? Yeah, I'm just giving you all the good questions here this morning. You know, I, you know, I, I guess it's like um, it's like last week. You know, uh, Cal let Joel read all those names, so now you're letting me answer all the questions. <laughs> I'm giving you all the tough stuff. You're giving me all the tough stuff. You know, it took me a long time to think about this because you know the thing about deceptive talk is it's really good. <coughs> I mean, we like to listen to it. I mean, it, it, what, the word is smooth talk and flattery. I, I read a commentary, and the guy said these are the urbane, witty, and sophisticated people. I mean, these are the people we like to listen to. You know, they have they know what to say. They know how to make us feel good. And, uh, and I think for a pointer in this point is we need to be careful. We need to match words with actions. 
Um, I, you know, it's easy to talk the talk, but uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a cliche, but do we walk the walk? You know, I, I think there is some validity to that. People who know everything, the right things to say, um, but somehow there's something off. You know, there's just something that, that, you know, I guess our radar has to go off again of, is this person really, really telling the truth? Are they really leading us down the path towards righteousness or are they leading us elsewhere? Um, and, uh, you know, Romans, I think, is a how-to on how to do this, you know, I mean, right from the very beginning. And, of course, you guys have been in this book for two years. And so, you know, do we remember two years ago what we talked about? But, you know, Paul is examining truth claims of religious and non-religious people, and he compares those to the truth of the gospel. And so this idea of always compare, always compare. Okay, I heard this guy say this thing. I watched this video. I went to this church. I heard my neighbor talking. So then we have to compare, okay, how does, how does this, you know, are, are, are they leading me down the garden path or are leading me the path to righteousness? And I think part of it is um, not everything Paul says in this book is easy to accept. For some reason, Paul thinks that I'm a sinner. <laughs> he thinks I'm not righteous. He thinks I need to stop doing my being selfish. Uh, you know, I don't like to hear that. Maybe you you love hearing that kind of stuff, but I'm sure that you're struggling with it too, and maybe, you know, the people at home. Uh, it would appear that false teachers present a very good-sounding gospel, you know, this idea that it doesn't require me to change. You know, I just need to sort of be a part of something without actually having to change myself. I don't need to accept something. I don't need to know that I'm a sinner. I don't need to know that I, 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 I'm rebellious against God. You know, it's sort of this idea of, of everything's okay. You know, just sort of wait and God will take care of you. And I think there's, there's a sense of that's, that's a false gospel because it doesn't lead to change in life, in our lives. And it doesn't lead to something that's good. It's just bad news in a sense. I mean, of course, the gospel is good news. There is something good there. There is something that brings us joy. And, you know, it is a wonderful thing. But there's also a call to return to the way we we're supposed to be and not simply remain who we are today. Well, I'm good enough. I've got just enough right stuff. And, and I think the truth, uh, the truth, um, the truth hurts. Um, and it's a reminder for me, I guess, as I present the good news of Jesus Christ. Am I presenting a good news that encourages life change or repentance? Or am I presenting a good news that has no impact on life at all? Um, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time on social media. You know, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you'll know I'm always on. Uh, and that's, I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's just a reality. And in social media, you know, there's sort of two rules if you disagree with somebody. One rule is just scroll on and ignore them and don't, get, you know, don't give them the time of day. Just find something nice to read. The other rule, of course, is just argue with them and convince them that they're wrong. Mm. Now, I quite often fall into that category rather than the scrolling past one. But, but I think the gospel brings us a third option. You know, it's not either ignore or fight. I think there's this third option to love others enough to form a relationship with them so we can have a conversation and, and, and journey together down the path. And I was reminded of um, when, when Eva and I first arrived in the Philippines, we studied uh, Tagalog so we could learn how to, you know, you have to learn how to speak people's language. And, uh, um, and, 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 and our teacher, his name was Dante, he, he, he told a story about how a man had deeply offended him. He was teaching, he was teaching Tagalog, and, and somehow this man acted in an, in an inappropriate way for a Filipino. He wasn't a Filipino, he was, a, he, was a, he was like me, a foreigner. I didn't know who this guy was, but... But he had deeply offended Dante. And of course, you know, if I get deeply offended, you're going to find out about it. But it, it was very interesting what Dante said. He said, you know what? I decided in my heart 
that I would make that man my friend so that when we became friends, he would realize how deeply he had hurt me. Mm. And that's a totally different perspective. You know, it's an idea of, okay, our friendship is more important. You know, you'll understand you hurt me and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But really, it's the friendship that's the key thing. And I think, you know, I think to, 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 to not try to push, because sometimes maybe we might be, end up being offensive or deceptive in our talk, but to seek friendship and love from one another, I think, is, is a key to that. Mm. Um, I don't know. That's, that's what I can come up with. <laughs> well, and I think that's the essence of the gospel in a, in a sense. Like mm -hmm. the gospel empowers us to forgive when we're offended and to, to embrace our enemies, to embrace those, you know, who, who have hurt us and to befriend them uh, and, and to, to see change that comes through relationship. And I think that's a powerful, a powerful perspective. Mm -hmm. So we've got some things pointed out to us now from, from Paul in this passage about what to watch for. Um, so how do we respond then when we see some of these things? Mm -hmm. um, how do we react? And, and in the passage here, Paul tells us to, to keep away from them. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just going to tell a quick story here if I can. Um, I was in Alaska several years ago. We traveled to the, the village that I was a part of by plane, and then everything after that was by boat. And every once, and, and we were on a large river, the Kuskokwim River, so it's probably about one and a half times the width of the Saskatchewan. This is a big body of water coming mm -hmm. through. It wasn't very deep, though. But every once in a while, we would, off in the distance, we'd see a moose swimming across the river. And you could see them a long ways off because there was this big black cloud of mosquitoes over top of them. But... <laughs> It was, it was very interesting because I don't know how close you've been to wildlife. I mean, we could get this far away, literally. Mm. They are huge and mm. powerful and beautiful. And we would come with the boat and we would just go alongside and try and watch them. And I think a while back there was a video of a, a hunter here in Saskatchewan, you know, grabbing a moose and jumping on him. That's just dumb. Mm. We're not doing that. Okay, mm. that, we're not condoning that at all. We just wanted to watch. But as we came alongside, they would always turn away. And we'd come and they'd turn. And they'd, they'd just keep turning, even if they had to swim further. Hmm. And this was a big river already. They'd already swum a long ways. Um, but they would continually turn away. And when they, it finally got shallow enough for them to catch bottom, they didn't turn on us or anything like that. They caught bottom and into the bush. And those big guys would just shake their heads a couple times with those horns. I don't know how they got through the, the trees so quickly, but they were just gone. And, and that's interesting. In Romans 16, 17, Paul says, keep away from them. Mm -hmm. And as a response, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, he says, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Don't associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. So we're to keep away from those who put obstacles in our way. And that, that word obstacle is actually a really interesting word. Um, it actually means, it identifies the portion of the trap that the bait is laid on. And so, I mean, you and I both know if you touch that, boom, the trap is sprung and you're caught. So the, the picture is there, is don't even touch it because then it's too late already. So I think that's a good image, a couple of images there to turn away. Don't listen, don't engage. Turn away at every opportunity and get away as soon as you're able. That seems to be what Paul is sharing uh, telling us to do here when we when we come up against these is we're not to turn on them, mm -hmm. but to turn away, even mm -hmm. if it takes a little more energy. Mm -hmm. But Paul also tells us to, to wise up. 
mm -hmm. to be wise. I don't know if you've ever told your kids, hey, wise up, you know, but they're smart, smart enough. Smart is enough. That the same thing or is well, that different? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess it's language, but same, same, concept, <laughs> same concept, right? But Paul says, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what's good and innocent about what's evil. So there's that, that kind of wise up principle I see there. So mm -hmm. here I'm going to give you one of these questions again. How do we understand Paul's comment, first of all, on the obedience of the Roman believers? We'll start with that, and then we'll talk about this wisdom piece. Well, I think we obey because we're convinced of something. You know, uh, we obey traffic rules because we're convinced it'll keep us safe on the, on the road. And, you know, we, we're convinced of a truth that needs to be believed or we're convinced of an action that needs to be completed. We're convinced of a way that needs to be followed. You know, there's some kind of, a, 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 of something that it's not said. Well, I guess we know that they were convinced because the Romans followed because Paul is commending them. He's saying, you know, mm -hmm. you guys are actually obedient. And, and, and I don't think it's a blind a blind following, you know, okay, well, somebody told me to jump, okay, so I'll jump, you know, there's a cliff there while I, you know, well, you know, they told me, I don't think it's a blind following. I think this is with eyes wide open, mm. knowing full well what obedience means and saying, this is the path I've chosen. I'm going to follow that path because I've evaluated it and I've seen that it's good and it's going to be beneficial for me. So I'm going to go and it's going to bring glory to God. And so I'm going to go through on that path. And I think that's, I think that really, that's what it is. And, and, and the Romans were clearly obedient which is an interesting thing for Romans uh, because, you know, we typically identify Romans with, you know, Roman Empire and stuff like that. Do they do their own thing? But these, these Roman believers were, were, were obedient to a path they knew was a valuable path to follow. Mm. And, and that obedience brought protection. They were, mm. I get the picture of, of kind of there's that old adage, you're so busy doing what's good and right so that you don't have time to do what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Their mm -hmm. obedience protected them. They were, they were following that. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we understand then this next part of it about this wisdom piece, be wise in what is good? What, what does that mean? How can we be wise in what's good? Mm -hmm. Well, wise in, being wise in what's good is somebody who's skilled. You know, that's, that's also a word that they use here. Uh, somebody who's practiced so much that it becomes second nature. And, uh, you know, you, you're a motorcycle guy. Uh, I, in the past, have been a golfer. Now, I'm not claiming to be a good golfer, but I have enjoyed a few rounds of golf. Uh, I think the last time I golfed, I golfed with Pastor Layton, and I got a birdie. So we both got birdies <laughs> on one hole. We're happy about that. But I remember the day I took one of my colleagues to the, to the driving range for the first time. And, uh, um, and uh, so he hit the first ball, and it was a slice. Then he hit the second ball, and it was a hook. And so he said to me, he says, well, what's the secret to hitting it straight? And I said to him, well, that's the secret of golf. <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about. How do you hit the thing straight? I think Daniel actually gave me a book once uh, for, for my birthday called The Secret of Golf, The Secret of Golf. There were a hundred secrets in the book, but each of them was <laughs> the right one. But, but it comes down to what they say, muscle memory. You know, you do something enough times, uh, your, your, your muscles will automatically do that without thinking. Uh, and I, I think when I started golf, a friend of mine gave me a, just a short little uh, metal, um, it wasn't even a golf club. It was, a, it was a practice swing, and there was a weight on one end, and then there was, there was a, a molded hand grip on the other end so that you would, you would, you would it, it train your hands how to, how to grip the club. And beforehand, I used to, you know, before I used to grip the club like a baseball bat. And after I used this thing every day for, you know, I'd swing it around every, in my office every day for a couple of minutes, the next time I gripped the club, it automatically just came together because my hands knew what to do because they were skilled in... Uh, in uh, it, because they'd been practiced in doing that. It sort of became second nature. 
And I think maybe we need to become skilled in, in, in doing good. Mm. So it's a second nature to us. So we don't have to think about, should I do good today or not? It just automatically comes out. Yeah, that, that's a great picture, that practicing doing what's right, doing what's good. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul goes on and he says, we're supposed to be innocent in what is evil. Um, and there's that, that picture there of being untainted and inexperienced in what's evil. Now, this is a bit of a tougher question. <laughs> Some people have come to Christ from a, from a tough past. Um, they have experience with, quote, unquote, evil simply because of the situation that God called them out of. So how can those with a difficult past be innocent or inexperienced in evil? Yeah, you know, that's a good question uh, because the, the two don't go to hand in hand. You know, a hardened, a hardened sinner like we all are, but then becoming innocent. And, <clears throat> and I think it comes down to this word that, that gets used a lot, repentance, mm. changing the way we think and the way we act. Um, and, 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 and I think that's why at some point in our faith journey, we undergo what's called a conversion. I mean, I, there's other words. There's being born again. So, you know, being born again means you're a new, it's new. You've got a new life. And so there is an innocence associated with that. But this idea of conversion, which, which typically in English means uh, some kind of a switching that happens. You were this way before, and now you're this way now. Um, I like uh, in one of the Tagalog words that, that I've learned over the years is, is, is a word for conversion. And uh, it, it, it means, uh, well, I guess I could say the word. Uh, you know, we were talking about well, the I want you to say it because I've been trying to read it trying in your notes that. here. Well, I can't say that at all. Well, last night we were talking in our men's uh, Bible study about yep. uh, cross-cultural experience. And so we talked about, hey, maybe we should speak different languages in church. So I'll tell you what the word is. Pagbabalik loob. And, okay, uh, you got to say that again. Pagbabalik loob. I don't know if we're going to post that on the screen. But anyway, <laughs> trust me that that's what it is. But basically it means a return to being an authentic human being. So there's a, there's a concept of you have this idea, the loob, which is sort of who you truly are inside. And there's this idea of balik. So it means you've left that, but now you need to return to that. And I think it, it, it's, a, it's a great picture of the, of the gospel. You know, it's, it's like somebody who has been lost, but now they've been found. You know, they've gone away from a, the path they're supposed to be on. And then they've, they've found a new path. They found the, they've gone back to the path because they've been found. And, 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 and there's something that's been regained. You know, I, we emphasize in theology, you know, original sin. I mean, certainly there's, that's the doctrine that we believe. But prior to original sin, there's original righteousness. You know, Adam and Eve were created righteous in the garden. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's sort of what we hearken back to. We want to be back to that original, authentic human experience. And, uh, and, 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 and I think a rediscovery of that truth makes somebody innocent again mm -hmm. as, we, as we explore, oh, wait a minute, I, I can do something good. So now we're innocent. Okay, how, what are the ways I can be good? You know, we've, we know all the ways we can be bad. So let's explore and be innocent in the ways we can be good and try to find out and become seasoned veterans at being good. Seasoned veterans at being good. Rediscovering that innocence again. I, mm -hmm. Those are great pictures. I, I know that some would be familiar with this, but I'm reminded of the, the Micah 7:19, where God says, I will hurl all of your iniquities into the depths of the sea. And some people have, have really simplified this. I, I may have even seen a little cartoon there of a, you know, a boat and they've thrown all of the, your, our iniquities, our sins into the ocean. And then there's a no fishing sign that's posted, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe you've seen that as well, but there's that imagery of the past is in the past. God mm -hmm. does not dredge it up again. 
And so that because that's not brought up again, mm-hmm. there's, we're in that place of innocence then to, to, to live from, from there on and mm-hmm. not from the old past again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. great pictures here. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to dealing with troublemakers, I'm going to go with some W words here this morning. We're okay. to watch out. Mm-hmm. Paul gave us a number of things to watch for. We've seen a few of those today, talked about them. We're to wise up in terms of, of how we interact and don't interact, uh, to be wise in terms of, of innocence and, and to be inexperienced in evil, but very experienced in good. Uh, I'm going to use another W here. Lastly, we're to rest in God's winning record. So watch out, wise up, think of God's winning record. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. So here's a question. In all of this deeply theological book of Romans, this is the first time in the last chapter, in almost the last section, where Paul actually mentions Satan. Mm-hmm. So why does he wait so long? I mean, why did you bring it up now instead of sooner? What's the meaning of it in, in this portion that we're looking at? Yeah, well, that's interesting. Maybe it's sort of saying that, you know, maybe Satan isn't that important after all, in the sense of, you know, he's not really part of the scene. He's, he's there. He's not the focus. He's not the focus. He's, oh, right, yeah, we're a Satan, right, right, right. Let's, let's talk about him, I think, maybe. Um, it, it reminded me, actually, to be honest, of Genesis chapter 3. And so, you know, it's interesting, you know, here we have Romans, which is sort of a really complex uh, rich, deep expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that gospel started in Romans, in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Adam and Eve have just fallen into sin. Um, they've just been cursed, cast out of the garden. Uh, you know, women, uh, you know, Adam's going to have to slave and, and to, you know, to pick weeds so that something will grow. You know, when Eve has babies, it's going to be hard for her. Uh, and they're, 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 they're cast out. But then there's this statement that, uh, that Paul makes. And I'll put my glasses on to read this. He says, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, which means, you know, uh, to, she's talking, he's talking to, to, to Satan. You know, you and the woman are going to be enemies, he says, between your offspring and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so there's this idea of, here's, the, here's what Paul is talking about. The, the, you will cr- crush Satan under your feet. Because the idea of the seed of the woman, who, of course, in Genesis, the context is it's Jesus Christ, ultimately, who will crush Satan under his heel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so the idea of the author of evil, Satan, would be crushed under the feet of the woman's seed. But, but yet Paul somehow identifies these feet as being our feet. And, and, and so that's sort of, okay, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus' feet? And then, of course, we have to remember that the church is the body of Christ, and so the church's feet are Christ's feet. And so somehow we're involved in the crushing of this, of Satan through our actions. Um, and maybe that's why it's at the end of, 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 of Romans. Because Paul is saying, hey, this is the truth about who you are in Christ. This is the truth about what I've done for you. This is the truth about the good news. And when Satan comes along, well, you guys are going to crush him anyway. Because this is the truth. And the truth is that he is crushed. Um, it, the idea of feet also, I like to jump around. I, I, you know, I hear a word and then it jumps around, uh, jumped around the Bible sometimes. You know, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Uh, you know, Isaiah talks about the feet of the one who brings good news. You know, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. And so the idea of the feet again, and I, I'd like to connect this to the foot that crushes Satan. And so the crushing of Satan is good news. It's a beautiful news. It's a wonderful story. And it's interesting, again, I guess, how this crushing, which is a very aggressive act, 
is identified here in the verse as being done by the God of peace. Mm. So how can something so violent and, and destructive, the crushing, be something that's peaceful? And I guess maybe it's that true peace can only happen when Satan is crushed. Yeah, yeah, I think it's absolutely true, yeah. True peace happens when, when Satan is, is out of the picture. Mm-hmm. True peace comes when, when God comes completely into that picture. And, and it's interesting, God is seen as the God of peace. Um, I'm just going to jump off of that for a little bit here, but another okay. question. Are, thing, are there things that we can do in the midst of trouble in the church, but even in our own, own lives, I think, to enhance God's, God's peace in our lives? Mm-hmm. What would some of those be? Well, I think it, it's, it's unfortunate it takes a lifetime to figure this out. You know, it'd be nice if we figured out these peace-bringing actions earlier on in life. Um, uh, you know, I think for, for me, in my experience, you know, ideas such as meditation and mindfulness, which sort of gets people, oh, wait, mindfulness. The idea of sort of meditating on the Word of God, you know, and on your law I meditate day and night, it says in Psalm 1, verse 2. And so there's this idea of that we, 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 we reflect upon God, the mindfulness being simply, you know, understanding of who we are in a moment, um, knowing that we are ch- children of God, and, and, and the Scripture itself that will bring peace to our minds. Because it's like you mentioned earlier, you know, if you're so busy doing good, how can you start doing wrong things? And I think if we're, we're so focused on the Word of God and understanding the truths that, that God tells us as we meditate on God's Word day and night, we don't have time to meditate on all that other stuff that, that, that's negative. And I think it does help to bring us out of a bad mindset. Uh, there's also the idea of pray without ceasing, First Thessalonians 5.17. You know, constantly being in prayer, yeah. you know, not simply praying before you eat or praying before you go to bed or praying in church, but just constantly being in a, in a, in a, in a time of prayer throughout days. You know, temptation comes, we'll pray to God. Um, there's a victory, we'll give thanks to God. Mm-hmm. There's a problem, we'll bring it before God. Yeah. And I think that, you know, focusing that, that idea that I have a God who's with me, who can help me through this time of trouble, I think that's a good thing. And then, of course, in Ephesians and Colossians, we read about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, uh, you know, singing songs, and I actually do this. You know, I have a song that I sing that I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> you got your mic, we could hear I Well, mean, you know, I could sing, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I sing the song, you know, when, when, I was, when I was younger, you know, there was a song, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Uh, Cast me not away from thy presence. It's King James even, so it tells you when I learned the song. Uh, but, and renew a right spirit within me. And so sometimes mm. I'll just sing that song to myself. If, I, if I'm in, a, in, in the wrong, uh, wrong headspace, if I'm going down temptation, uh, if I'm being led astray, I'll sing the song, and, and, and that will, will bring God's peace to me. Mm. The God of peace, I mean, mm. that's, that's an incredible blessing that we enjoy as children of God, to be in that position to encounter the God of peace, you know, daily and regularly as our Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an incredible thing. God of peace is actually one of the names of God. Mm-hmm. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Uh, and He is. In First Corinthians, Paul wrote again, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So, I mean, this is God's plan for the church, to be at peace with each other and to be an example, I think, of how God brings peace. And that's in total contrast to what what our spiritual enemy brings to the church. Um, so just kind of wrapping up here, we've seen from the passage that we need to watch out. Mm-hmm. We need to be wise. 
And we need to remember that God has won the victory. Mm -hmm. So watch out, be wise, remember God's won. Um, can you wrap up, there's another W there, <laughs> uh, with what we talked about here this morning with just a couple of key statements. And it just kind of, there's a lot of stuff that we've looked at here, but if you could just boil it down and roll it down to a couple of key things, that's probably the toughest question of the day. Yeah, it probably is, yeah. And I don't know if my answer is, uh, is up, to, up to snuff, but we'll have to see, I guess. Um, I, I didn't come up with any alliteration or, or pithy statements, but uh, um, I need to uh, brush up on my pastor skills, I think. But um, I, I guess, first of all, the idea, we don't need to fear divisions or false teaching in the church because we've been prepared to deal with it. You know, I think understanding the book of Romans is a preparation for knowing the truth and, and a preparation, I think, for also understanding how to break down division. Mm -hmm. um, because we see, you know, examples throughout Romans of those things. So we don't need to fear those kind of things yeah. because we're, we've been equipped for that. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an encouragement. Um, you know, we're not going into this cold, oh no, what am I going to do? There is something there. Now, don't get me wrong, division and false teaching is painful and it, you know, it's, it's wounds last for a long time, but yet it's good news yeah. that there is an end to that. And, uh, you know, I think both of us have experienced that and have seen that there's a way out the end of, you know, of, of these conflicts in the church. And I guess the second one is that, you know, I, as for me, I guess as a leader, uh, wherever I might be, whether I'm leading, I suppose, a church, whether I'm leading uh, a group, uh, whether I'm leading my family, you know, we don't need to try to gain followers for ourselves because Jesus Christ himself, he provides a new way of doing things that is much better than what I can offer. You know, uh, I might be able to think of great systems. And, I, you know, if you want me to talk about what I think the church should be like, we can talk about that. But really, it's ultimately Christ who really knows what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I think I need to try to bring followers to Christ rather than followers to myself. Those are things that jumped out at me from, from these verses we looked at today. Mm. Great wrap-ups. Um, great, great takeaways again. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. You put a lot of work into this, prepping it, and right on the tail end of a class. So you were, you were a busy guy. Uh, so I appreciate the time that you put into this. I thank you for coming here today and sharing with, uh, with us uh, the insights that you brought. We, we really appreciate that. I'd like just to take a minute here and pray for you and, and pray for the church. I think this is a, a good opportunity to do that. So, Father, this morning, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the wisdom that comes through it for us as your people. Uh, I want to thank you for what we've seen here in this message from Paul. And I thank you that we don't need to fear trouble, that you've prepared us in terms of how to deal with it, in terms of what to watch for and be aware of. Uh, give us your spirit to understand these things and apply them as they come. Uh, give us understanding as well in terms of of recognizing that your plan is so much greater than anything that we could come up with on our own. And when we're tempted to, to move in those directions and perhaps um, feed our own appetite, to just submit that to you in recognition of the, the grand plan that you have for your church and for us as your people. And so, Lord Jesus, we say thank you for that today. And we want to thank you for Ebenezer. We want to thank you for the, the time of peace that our church has experienced for so many years. I ask that you bless our leadership, uh, Leighton and those on the board and others in leadership around the church. Uh, give them a, a continued hunger and desire to, to glorify you and seek you and seek you in terms of what you would have for the bigger picture of this place. And we, we give ourselves to you in that way, even now as we're working through what Ebenezer 
looks like perhaps after this pandemic has passed. So give us your wisdom in that. And I thank you for Michael and Eva. Thank you for the work in the Philippines. And I just pray that you would continue to bless them uh, as they work there and as they looked forward to, to getting back. And I just pray that you would bless them and allow them to be a blessing as they, they exist in this place, uh, living in Daniel's um, suite right now and visiting and, and connecting uh, online with so many. I just pray that you would bless them in that way too and, and just encourage them um, despite what next week or next month might look like for them. It's a bit of a mystery, but you know. And so we want to take encouragement in that. And I commit them to you now uh, for that good work. And again, for this time, we give you praise and thanks. And we commit ourselves to you in that amazing name of Jesus. Amen.